2: The hurricane could cause Brian Sullivan covers uh, energy and commodities for Bloomberg and uh, all things weather related. Jack Kasky is chemical companies reporter for us based in Houston. Uh, Let's start with uh, with you, Brian. I'm uh, watching uh, minute by minute the latest uh, forecasts for the hurricane and uh, much will depend. On exactly when it turns north, uh, the uh, low pressure over the Mississippi uh, Valley may, will pull it north. But uh, the current forecast track is about as bad a scenario as you could come up with.
1: Yeah, one analyst uh, this morning told me it was the nightmare scenario for insurance companies. Um, uh-huh. So the the current thinking is it's going to go straight up the Florida Peninsula, uh-huh. whether it goes up a little to the west or a little to the east, I think at this point doesn't matter just simply because... Um Irma's getting large. I mean, it, it underwent what they call an eyewall replacement um, this morning, and that actually makes the physical size of the storm get larger than the physical wind field of the most damaging winds get larger. And this is, this is where the damage is going to happen, um, and it's going to be different from Harvey. With Harvey, you had a lot of flooding, which insurance companies aren't necessarily on the hook for. But with um, Irma, you may see... Every county in Florida having some kind of damage, and these are gonna, this is going to be roof damage and trees through windows and houses and on cars. And um, the insurance companies are all on the hook for this. So this, um, you're talking about a price tag maybe in the $130 billion range, and then with um, secondary economic impact spreading that out to about $200 billion. Of course, that's the worst-case scenario.
2: Yeah, the uh, latest forecast also suggesting that uh, the eyewall replacement cycle nearly complete, which means it could go back up to a 5 uh, as as it strengthens, uh, Jack Caskey. One of the stories that caught everybody's attention, obviously, was uh, the chemical plants in Houston and the the toxic stew that went into the flood waters, and of course the the one plant that had the uh, chemicals explode. And the bad news from you is that this could it could be worse in Florida.
3: Um, well, I mean, there's potential. Yeah, there's um, there's not the heavy. Uh, petrochemical industry in Florida that there is in, in Texas and Louisiana, but there is a nuclear plant that's from the seven early seventies that's uh, right in the path um at the tip of florida um, uh, now the plant is you know twenty feet above uh sea level they tell me so storms it should be safe safe from storm surge um, uh, there's facilities um there's uh, large uh, phosphate mining facilities with uh, slightly radioactive waste uh, piles that need to be protected from wind and and uh, and water. Uh, it's owned by the company Mosaic um, that that polluted uh, water and killed marine mammals in the past. Um, uh, and there's you know there's the whole you know every state has got its uh, chemical uh, uh, distribution. Uh, facilities that need to be protected from storm surge. I mean, one of the lessons from uh, uh, from Harvey was that uh, some chemical operators just didn't expect the amount of water that they were deluged with. So the case of uh, in Crosby, Texas, the company Arkema out of France uh, had its generators fail, causing um, a fire of, of the or- organic peroxides that were stored there. And, um, there was no serious injuries, although actually the... Uh, First responders are now suing the company over uh, their exposure to the uh, smoke yeah. at, at the fire.
2: Let me, um, yeah. um, let, let me ask you something here. Um, nuclear plants shut down uh, yeah. as the storm approaches. We're going to have, according to all the meteorologists, storm surge, uh, big storm surge from this hurricane. And that's what hap- hurt yeah. the nuclear plants in Japan after the earthquake. Yeah. So how much danger is there from that?
3: they say it's not a fair comparison that they uh that the that Fukushima um you know it was, it, it, that meltdown was caused by a tsunami which hit the plant Rather quickly they have a lot more warning here to shut down this plant um, they 've learned from Fukushima they have uh, more flooding anti flooding mechanisms in place they 've got backup systems upon backup systems to keep the the issue is keeping the cooling waters around the nuclear rods uh, from from getting too hot and melting down. They say that 's not going to happen. Uh, that plant is elevated well above sea level, so you know we 'll see the like I said the lesson from from uh the arkham plant explosion is that they just didn't expect that much water and that's why the plant burned up
2: brian sullivan i got 30 seconds left Uh, what's the 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 best damage estimate you're hearing
1: right now from the companies you talk to in the uh, 130 135 billion dollar range um and that isn't counting what happened in uh, the Caribbean. There's already some early estimates coming out of the Caribbean that you have $5 billion damage there, and that's certainly going to go up.
2: All right, Brian Sullivan uh, coming to us from our uh, Boston Bureau. He is uh, the weather guy for us and covers energy and commodities. Jack Caskey in Houston, chemical companies reporter. Obviously, this is uh, a Potentially ca- catastrophic storm. We don't have a lot of uh, good information about uh, exactly what's going to happen, but we have some guesses and they are not good. So stay tuned to Bloomberg Radio all weekend. We'll keep you on top of the latest from Hurricane Irma. Here's an idea. Uh, you want to get a car, but you don't want to have a car. <laughs> you just want to use it when you want it, uh, for as long as you want, but uh, and drive the car you want. Uh, uh, Scott uh, Painter is the uh, former CEO and founder of True Car. He's got a, n- a new startup, car as a service. Uh, it's called Fair. Uh, tell us about uh, how this works. I mean, I, I'm a guy who lives in New York City. I don't own a car, but. I go skiing in the winter or I go out to the beach in the summer. And so maybe for a while, I want a car.
4: Well, fair is a pretty simple concept. It really is an app that represents a totally new way to get a car. So you simply download the app, scan your driver's license. It shows you all the cars you can afford. And then in
2: my case, that'd be very few.
4: (laughs) And it gives you a single all in low cost of ownership that's designed to be sort of an iTunes account for your car.
2: But this isn't like renting, though.
4: You know, it's all the benefits of renting. So one of the great parts about renting a car is that you can turn it in and be done with it anytime you want. Right. The problem is it's quite expensive. So this is about half the cost of a rental, which is important, but at the savings of a lease. We are actually the owner of the car, and we actually lease the vehicle to you all simultaneously inside the app. But more importantly, you're not picking a car off of a rental lot. You're picking the car you want that's for sale at any dealer.
2: What's uh, the minimum and maximum times for your, uh, what what do you call it? Do you call it a lease? Uh, What do do you call this?
4: It's effectively a used vehicle lease, but we're not calling it a lease. Um, Actually, the fair contract has no term in it, which is really one of the things we found that young buyers, millennials, the modern sort of car buyer, really doesn't want a long contract or a long commitment. A car represents a big commitment. So, the fair contract gives you the ability to walk away or turn in the car at any time without penalty. You can keep it for 6 days, 6 months, 6 years. Where do you get the cars? So, you pick the car using the app, but those cars are at <clears throat> at local dealers all around you, and those are the cars that are traditionally for sale. Fair is simply a different way to get that car.
2: So you look at their inventory and you can say, I, I, I want a, a Ford X, whatever. Um, you go to a local Ford dealer and what, what they have in inventory is what you can get?
4: That's correct. And instead of the prices of the car being what you're shopping on, you're looking at monthly payments. So everything in the inventory that you see is given to you with a monthly payment that includes maintenance, warranty. And roadside assistance standard.
2: That that brings up the question. You said you could get it as low as, as six days. You know, six days. Uh, do you pro rent the monthly uh, payment? Then
4: we don't. So it is a month to month, pay as you go. So if I have
2: it for six days, I'm still going to pay for a month.
4: You are okay. That doesn't sound too bad, though. Um, and
2: uh, who uh, you? I assume with this, you got to carry your own insurance for the car.
4: In order to drive a car on the road, you do need to have insurance. But FAIR also offers month-to-month insurance for collision and liability. And you can also buy excess wear and tear insurance if you feel you need it.
2: Um, and uh, what do you do with cars when, you, when I give it back to you?
4: Those cars go back to the dealership. So the lifeblood of the modern car dealership is a late model used car. So that car coming back into their inventory and being sold to another customer is really the, the goal.
2: Now, I've been reading that um, there is a glut of late model used cars coming out of the markets these days.
4: Well, we've been at peak production in terms of manufacturing. We're approaching 18 million cars being produced in this country, which creates an oversupply of used cars two, three years down the road. And we've been at peak production for a couple of years now. So you've got five or six million late model used cars that are one, two, and three years old coming back to the market in the next year to 18 months that represents a huge opportunity for the consumer to not only save money but get a great value in a great vehicle
2: so you're are you are you uh selling renting to me uh used cars or new cars
4: these are pre-owned cars okay and all of the vehicles that you're going to see on Fair represent a vehicle that has gone through our inspection process, that has a warranty, roadside assistance, and standard maintenance, so you can actually get the car with peace of mind.
2: So these are going to be uh, this is going to be useful for the dealer who can make some money off a vehicle uh, rather than have it just sit in inventory.
4: That's correct. For the dealer, this is a transaction; they're selling the car.
2: Because you're buying it, so they don't care who's buying it, right? That's right. Fair,
4: op, fair operates under all the necessary licenses, and depending on the jurisdiction, we are a dealer, and we actually buy the car, put it on our balance sheet, and simultaneously give you a contract to use that vehicle.
2: What's the difference between you and, and uh, Tesla in, the, in your sales model in that uh, dealers have gone to court saying, if you don't have a lot and you don't have cars on that lot, you're not a dealer and you can't be selling this stuff?
4: But we're not actually selling the car. We're just giving you access to the vehicle to use it as you want, when you want. But we take all of the risk around depreciation and managing and owning that vehicle. So it's our capital that's being used to buy the car. You're not borrowing money when you get a car from Fair. You're paying for access to that vehicle. And so this notion that the car is becoming a service is really a subscription that you have the car you want at any dealership as long as you want it, when you want it, and then you can leave it and be done with it. So I don't take title to it. You don't.
2: Uh, if I have an app and I uh, decide I want to get a Ferrari, um, how do you know I am <laughs> I credit worthy for a car like that? Uh, how, do you, how do you know uh, whether you can trust somebody to
4: make their payments? The goal of the app is to really understand what you can afford. The average American today spends about 14% of their gross income on mobility, which breaks down to the car, insurance, maintenance, repair, fuel, and in many cases, accessories. We're actually beginning there. And the first thing that the app does, by scanning your driver's license, we're looking for your income and your disposable income so we can understand what you can genuinely afford. But the two things we need, the driver's license and a form of digital payment. And in most cases, that's a bank account or a credit card.
2: So uh, do do you care about whether my credit is good? I mean, do you run a credit check on me uh, through, say, an Equifax? Maybe you don't want to do that right
4: now. (laughs) Right. Well, we do do a soft credit pull, but it does not affect your credit. And we're not underwriting you in the same way that a bank would have for a car loan. So you can have actually bad credit. You can in many cases have no credit. What we're really looking for is ability to pay. However, if for whatever reason, you go through a change in work where you don't have a consistent source of income, you simply return the car.
2: Where does this, uh, when do we see this? When when can I start downloading the app and getting the car?
4: So the app is live today in the app store. If you go to FAIR and type in either auto or financial, so FAIR is a, an app that you can download today, but it is currently live and working in Southern California. We've got 73 franchise dealers, over 1,000 cars in inventory.
2: Because nobody drives in Southern California.
4: <laughs> it's the car capital of the well, world.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, but uh, I'm I'm kidding, but people there like to have cars. Uh, what about in a uh, place, when does it come to New York City or Boston, places where people don't necessarily want a to, to warehouse a car, but, you know, want cars on a regular basis?
4: Sure. So it's going to be throughout the state of california before the end of the year and it will roll out nationally in about a dozen cities in 2018 all right but from an ownership point of view the benefits of ownership are really focused on security
2: oh well we'll talk about that but fair is the is the app thank you very much for joining us we're out of time unfortunately but sounds like a great idea scott pater fair Well, news out of Canada today. Canadian marijuana producers' shares are rising. Reports Ontario is going to open government-controlled storefronts for legalized recreational sales. Uh, That should make it a lot easier for people, once uh, Canada legalizes marijuana next year, to uh, purchase uh, the product because uh, the Canadian government probably recognizing it needs a way to safely Uh, handle the financial transactions uh, created uh, may make it easier for people in Canada to um, use banks and the banking system to pay for their pot. That is not the case in the United States, especially in the states where we have seen legalization, like in Colorado. Banks don't really want to deal with with uh, people who do business, even though um, those businesses can uh, take in an awful lot of cash. uh, Banks uh, worry about money laundering bills, uh, uh, legislation rather, and they also, (laughs) this this sounds silly, but it's true, Um, they don't want a lot of cash coming into the bank that smells like marijuana. A company that has been founded to try to deal with that is called Token. And uh, the CEO and founder is Lamine Zarat, and he joins us now from Denver. Uh, basically, what you're, uh, you're doing is using the concept of a cryptocurrency to become the middleman between the cash and the pot shop, correct?
0: Well, thank you for having me, Mike. Um, to clarify, we use the blockchain that's divorced from its cryptocurrency, uh, the blockchain. The way we employ it uh, is a secondary redundancy ledger for us, and it ensures indelibility of all data in our system. And as a consequence, makes our financial institution partners and, uh, by extension, their regulators feel comfortable with extending services to the industry.
2: How does it work?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before I tell you how it works, uh, I think it's important for me to explain the context and, uh, and kind of, a, my own personal background and the genesis of Token. I'm an immigrant. Uh, I came to the United States from former USSR. And where my family spent uh, a, a approximately six years as refugees, which impacted my view on banking and unbanked. So that's very personal to me, extending services to uh, to those who, uh, uh, who deserve it. Uh, I later spent time in the military and intelligence community in the United States, and then uh, Wall Street with, Mer- with Merrill Lynch, and later uh, with U.S. Treasury's Office of the Comptroller Currency as a bank regulator. So I, I, you know, Token is an amalgam of all those experiences. And what Token is, essentially, is, uh, is an intelligence platform. It creates accountability, transparency. Uh, the way it works: consumers download the application, they create an account. Uh, under a second, we identify who they are. So if it's John Smith, we know that it's John Smith before they tie a payment source to that application, the mobile app. Uh, but the experience is similar to Apple Pay, for instance. They walk in a, a participating retailer, press pay, uh, and walk away with the product. It's that simple. On the other hand, uh, retailers have access to their portal that looks just like an online banking portal. They can see a transaction. Uh, as it happens. They can also move the funds now. They can move the funds token to token, think PayPal, uh, or they can move the funds using ACH or traditional payments rails that uh, sort of provided to them through our partner institutions. So that solves both the banking problem and the payments problem uh, on both ends. And then, of course, there are regulators and law enforcement. Uh, and, uh, and as you mentioned, in the United States, uh, we have a very interesting, if not convoluted system where cannabis is illegal federally and legal in certain jurisdictions so as a consequence uh federal government took a unique stance they took an agnostic stance through issuing uh, several guidances. There are three memorandums from the Department of Justice, there's a guidance from the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, part of the U.S. Treasury, and uh, and essentially there's a legal framework called the Bank Secrecy Act. And the federal government uh, took a position by stating that we are agnostic as long as you follow the rules and comply with these uh, items and these regulatory guidance. Uh, that, was, that was issued. And what, what happens is that it, it creates uh, an incredible burden on small financial institutions that are willing to provide services to uh, to cannabis industry. And that's what we help them with. We help them with uh, creating transparency, tracking every transaction, and, uh, and ensuring that everything that happens in that system is indelible. And that's where blockchain fits in. Blockchain is the first ledger uh, known to uh, you know, humanity, so to speak, but it's cryptographically and mathematically indelible.
2: What's your cut of this? How, uh, how do you make money?
0: Uh, right now, it's very simple. We charge per transaction fees to merchants, the same way, uh, say, First Data would or Navisa Mastercard.
2: And uh, how has it been accepted so far? What's what's your growth rate?
0: Yeah, so we we had a, a control pilot in Denver, and it was done on purpose with uh, with cannabis and non cannabis relationships to to establish a control group and to, to really observe uh, behaviors in the industry. Uh, In that pilot, uh, surprisingly, our wallet had incredible adoption. Thirty-five percent of all transactions at each location were converted without any marketing. That's uh, that's unprecedented because Apple failed and Google failed with their wallets. But uh, I think it's uh, demonstrative to the need in the industry and to the fact that consumers don't want to pay in cash. Uh, there are some really interesting statistics. For instance, over over 60% of our uh, users in our system made three or more purchases, so it's uh, sticky (pun intended) here, and uh, and we've increased average ticket size by 18%. I mean, it's it's an incredible value add to a business.
2: What do you think uh, the, the growth possibilities for you are? Um, you know, you've got states that are doing uh, medical marijuana, but the states have just totally legalized it. Uh, there aren't that many. Um, do, you have a, do, you, do you need to grow or can you maintain a successful business with uh, just a, a smaller uh, operation that focuses on those states?
0: No, we absolutely not only want to grow, but need to grow. And the reason is, the bigger our ecosystem, more visibility we have into the, the milieu of the transaction world, right? So we know, for instance, if you uh, engage in what's called dispensary hopping, if you're a consumer and you want to make a purchase and multiple dispensaries that, um, and, and exceeding yeah. your daily amount that's allotted to you by, say, Colorado law, uh, for us to, to have that visibility, we need to have multiple dispensaries and multiple retail okay. locations. We also need to have access to the entire vertical to streamline the experience. So, if you are a, a retail facility and you want to purchase from a cultivator or a manufacturer, if they are on our system then onboard onboarded, not only do they have access to banking at this point, but they're also uh, you can also transact at incredibly low rates in our system,
2: token to token, so to speak. Right. So,
0: w- yes, we are growing. We're going to be growing nationally uh, in 2018. So, right. c- you know, keep an eye on us.
2: me Thank you very much, the CEO of. Token, an interesting new business uh, combining the marijuana industry and technology. Well, a big story in the financial world that uh, is getting a lot of attention, even with the hurricane coming, is this uh, security breach at Equifax, a lot of people wondering how the heck this could have happened. Amnon Barlev is the president of Checkpoint Software. He's uh, based in Tel Aviv. Michael Riley is Bloomberg News cybersecurity reporter in Washington D.C. They're joining us now. And uh, uh, Michael, uh, is there anything new that we that hasn't? Uh, been reported yet and and i asked that question sort of not it's not really tongue-in-cheek but uh... they sat on this information as many companies do for a while and there's this story about the executive selling stock in between and everything but um, do we know everything we need to know about this at this point
5: uh... no in fact this is going to be the uh, the start of a very long process if you take other examples like this say target for example where consumers got really angry because of a a a a set of of Uh, circumstances. In this case, you have a consumer credit agency, which consumers don't tend to like to begin with because they're the ones who tell them whether or not their credit is good and whether or not they get a credit card or a mortgage. And then you add to that uh, what looks like a a loss of massive amounts of of consumer data for a company that's supposed to know how to protect our data. And then you add to that this, uh, uh, you know, potential uh, branding problem where three executives sell off uh, shares in an unscheduled way just a few days after the breach is discovered. You're going to get a lot of anger, and with a lot of consumer anger, usually comes civil lawsuits. Those lawsuits will demand a lot more information than we have now, including an exact timeline, who was informed about the breach, when, what did the, how are they def- uh, defining. Uh, when they discovered the breach? For example, is it when they di- discovered malware on their systems? Is it when uh, they discovered data lo- left the network? O- or is it when the U.S. government uh, came to them and told them about the breach, which happens a lot. We don't know exactly how the discovery worked in this case because we don't know a lot.
2: And on uh, how, I mean, how, this, how does something like this happen? A company that sh- their whole goal should be to protect the most sensitive data that they have, and yet this can happen.
6: So I was in in Bloomberg Radio like a week ago, and and what I stated there is that every system system in the world can be hacked. Systems have a lot of code inside, and and systems can be hacked. You know, NSA been hacked like a year ago, and other very confidential systems can be hacked. It's a complex environment, so that's the bad news. I think the good news is that if you do a couple of very basic things, if you use existing uh, technology correctly, you can prevent most of those attacks.
2: Uh, if you do it correctly, did they do it correctly in this case?
6: So, so I really don't know. As, as, um, as just stated before, we don't, we don't all have all this knowledge uh, right now. We don't know the exact system that was breached. Instead, it's a website uh, that contains confidential data. Uh, we don't know if it was segmented. We don't know if it was protected correctly um, or not. So we don't have specific information for that system. But as you, as, as you know, many other systems that contain uh, private information for consumers like targets and other have uh, been hacked before.
2: What is the danger to people whose uh, data may have been uh, taken? And uh, what at this point uh, can you do about it? So it's, it's mostly
6: about identity tests. Um, people uh, actually can pretend to be you and do and transactions on your behalf from credit cards and other things. Um, and it is complex to know and it is complex to uh, identify. But you need to be it's a bit cautious to look at your bank records and any other records gets to you. We tend not to look at our credit card line by line, but maybe it's a good time to do so. <laughs>
2: Uh, Brian, uh, I mean, my, Brian, Michael, uh, this is obviously not going to go down well with people who have been critics of the uh, credit reporting agencies like an Elizabeth Warren on the banking committee and Capitol Hill. What happens? Uh, w- what's the reaction going to be in Washington to all this?
5: Uh, well, almost certainly this is going to get the um, lawmakers involved uh, more directly in this debate because it raises a fundamental question about whether the system as it exists now is the right one, um, which uh, goes to the uh, fundamental business model of these companies. They, they store a huge amount of uh, consumer data, and very important consumer data. They have divisions that do lots of different things, and uh, Equifax's uh, case, for example, they have uh, a service that, that stores the kind of security questions and answers that people give to validate their identity to credit card companies and to others. Uh, online and so they have basically they are a storehouse a kind of Fort Knox of all the sorts of digital data that a cyber thief would want to get their hands on. That means that they ought to have um, uh, this, the strongest protections possible so that they don't lose that data. Equifax is this is not the first problem they've had recently they've, they've uh, uh, this is in fact the third problem they've had in the last year. But by far the largest, but it does suggest that as much money as they're making doing this, they're not um, uh, doing enough to secure that data. And I think that there'll be questions about their uh, particular uh, uh, appropriate, their safeguards and whether they're appropriate, but there'll be a set of larger questions that uh, lawmakers will get to ask about whether the model is the right one in the first place. And that's going to be a major problem if uh, Congress begins to think that there needs to be Uh, either regulation in the sector or a different model, or if companies who provide their data to Equifax and the other other credit rating agencies, if they decide to to stop giving them as much data or access to the uh, the broad range of data that they have now.
2: All right. Thank you very much. Michael Riley, cybersecurity reporter for Bloomberg News, and Anand Barlev, president of Checkpoint Software. Thanks for joining us today.